With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. 101. Quiet, please, ladies and gentlemen. You ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show, and welcome to Conspiracy Theory Thursday. And I love it when a Conspiracy Theory Thursday delivers a real live one. Imagine this. When a court, the highest court in any particular state, is the Supreme Court of that state. And the Oregon Supreme Court has come out with the most nonsensical decision that you can ever imagine. Let me describe it generically. Imagine a court, all of the justices appointed by Democrat governors, who look at the law and they say, we can read what the law says, but we also know what the people who proposed the law intended. And even though what they intended to write in the law did not get written in the law, because apparently Democrats can't hire good attorneys who are capable of actually writing down what they want the voters to pass, because the voters passed a law that says A, but they intended B, we're going to go with B. I kid you not. This is a Supreme Court, the Oregon Supreme Court, deciding it doesn't matter what the letter of the law says. What matters is what we decided the people who were pushing the law intended to have happen. I'm going to tell you about this because it has to do with the 10 Republican senators who walked out of the legislature and uh, they were gone more than 10 days, unexcused because, of course, the Democrats had no no incentive to excuse their absence, and they walked out for a perfectly legitimate reason. It's the same reason that Democrats have sometimes walked out of the legislature. It's the same reason that it is in parliamentary law that uh, if you're holding a, a meeting, you have to have a quorum. But let me get into the details of it in a moment. First, on a Conspiracy Theory Thursday on the Radio Northwest Network, glad to get your calls. We call this the best conversation in talk journalism, and we mean it. 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And uh, by the way, you can also vote in our Twitter poll. Today's poll, I made this one national. Do you trust Nikki Haley's judgment after saying the state of Texas can secede from the United States of America? 
I don't trust Nikki Haley's judgment anyway, but that just cements the decision. You can vote in the poll on X. You'll find it at Lars Larson Show. You'll also find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. And always brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate puts and keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Now, yesterday, I asked you about whether or not Democrats in the legislature should steal the tax kicker from citizens and let the government spend it instead of you. I said no to that idea. So did 95% of you, but a an interesting 5% of naysayers said, no, go ahead, let the government keep my money. They can spend it better than I can. Now, let me get back, before I get to your calls or anything else, to this decision. This is so crazy you can't believe it. Now, famously, the Democrats who have a majority, big majorities, in both the House and Senate in the Oregon legislature, and they've decided uh, we want to be in charge, and we don't want anybody to question what we do, because we have the tyranny of the majority. Now, one of the things the founders of this country feared was the tyranny of the majority. In a representative system, which is different than a democracy, you send your representatives down and you say, but one side is always going to be in the minority and the other side is always going to be in the majority. Very rarely do you have legislative bodies that are split right down the middle 50-50. It just doesn't happen very often. So what do we do to recognize the voice of those representatives who are in the minority? And one of the things they do is they say, in the rules, we're going to make it a rule that you have to have a quorum. You have to have a minimum number of people, both Republicans and Democrats, in the chamber. Otherwise, you can't vote on anything. Now, of course, this prevents nonsense like five Democrats or even five Republicans showing up at midnight on a Friday night and saying, let's vote through a whole bunch of laws that we can't get the rest of our fellow lawmakers to vote for. No, you can't do it with five. You have to have a quorum, a minimum number of representatives, whether they're Democrats or Republicans or a combination of the two. But what it also allows, and believe me, the Democrats have made use of this as much as the Republicans have made use of it. If you hit certain pieces of legislation that are just absolutely so out of line that one side or the other says, we're going to simply leave the chamber, you won't be able to vote on that thing, it does two things. Number one, it shuts down a vote on what one side at least believes is a dangerous piece of legislation. But the second thing it does that you should care about as a citizen, it says to get those people back in the chamber, you might have to just sit down and do a little bit of horse trading, maybe a little bit of compromise, maybe some accommodation. But the Democrats said, we don't want to have to accommodate the Republicans. We know that we're right and we know that they're wrong. So when they, when they walk out of the chamber, we want to be able to punish them by saying you've walked out for 10 days. You had no excuse because we were the ones who would have to provide that excuse. So we're going to simply deny you the excused absence. And we're going to say you've been gone more than 10 days. Therefore, you can't run for reelection. The problem was the Democrats, as happens so often, screwed up when they wrote the initiative, the thing that the public voted on. They wrote it so that. Demo or Republicans would not be forbidden to run for re-election this year, but would be forbidden some years in the future. They wrote it in a way that didn't represent what they actually meant to write. Well, you and, you and I, anybody out there who's ever signed a contract to buy a house, to buy a car, to get some concrete poured, if I talk to a man and say, I really need 20 yards of concrete, 
and then we write down 15 yards in the con in the contract, and then the guy shows up and pours 15 yards, and I haul him into court and say, Your Honor, I needed 20 yards. I expected 20 yards. The judge is going to look at the contract and say, Hey, knucklehead Lars, you wrote 15 in the contract. You got 15. You got nothing to gripe about. You may have thought you wanted 20. You may have intended to have him pour 20. But what you wrote in the in the contract was 15. 15 is what you got. Get out of my courtroom. Now, that's what the Oregon Supreme Court should have done. They should have said to the people who drafted this cockamamie law, number one, you wrote it wrong. Number two, this is your chance to go back and write it all over again. If you really want that, write it down. And then there's this. Consider that going forward, I mean, Oregon and Washington both have lots and lots of initiatives. And there have been times when people writing initiatives have screwed up badly. Sometimes so badly the initiative gets thrown out altogether. But what happens if you tell people, as the Oregon Supreme Court, these appointed, Democrat-appointed judges say, it doesn't matter what you wrote down in paper. It only matters what people thought it was going to be. And as long as that happens, that means you could literally say, we're going to have an initiative on building more roads. And I run a bunch of ads on the air saying, hey, the initiative's about banning abortion. If I could show that a majority of Oregonians thought they were voting to ban abortion, when in fact the letter of the initiative said they were built, voting to build more roads, then according to the Oregon Supreme Court, how they perceived it is what ends up being law, not what's written down in the law books. And anybody who wants to be a naysayer on that and explain to me why we should ignore and why the Oregon Supreme Court ignored what was written in the law and said instead, we're going to go with how, how people perceive they were. Yeah, sounds like it's just about as changeable as gender these days. Back in a moment, it's Thursday. It's the Radio Northwest Network and the Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Just think of him as your concealed carry. This is the Lars Larson Show. That makes a lot of sense, a lot of nonsense. Right, you bloody well right, you know you got a right to say. 
This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead, fish wrapper, or mainstream media bias. Hey, parents, here's a warning. If you don't go with the woke notions from the left, you stand to lose your kids altogether. Both Oregon and Washington have signed off on laws that allow children not mature enough to drink, smoke, or pierce their ears to seek irreversible medical mutilation. Doctors and hospitals like OHSU see the literally billions of dollars attached to so-called gender-affirming care, and they've decided that underage teens can give truly informed consent to irreversible chemical castration. Who knew? Now from Montana comes a perfect illustration of this. A 14-year-old girl who calls herself a boy threatens suicide to get the attention of state busybodies. She told doctors she wanted to become male. Well, not surprisingly, her father and her stepmother don't approve. State officials decided her parents were dangerous, and they packed the girl off to a gender clinic in another state, the state of Wyoming. Just last year, Montana's legislature passed a law banning transgender medical meddling and governor greg gianforte signed it but now this alleged republican of a governor now supports the kidnapping of this girl for gender change state officials warn parents likely won't get her back unless they endorse the changes that this child is demanding and our question of the day jeff writes in lars since portlandia has declared itself a sanctuary city why have I not heard or seen busloads of illegal aliens coming from the great state of Texas? It's apparently starting to have an effect on some of those other Democrat-run cities. I know we have our homeless drug addict problems here, but I don't see how the average people or local media really talking or worrying about it. Well, Jeff, I can tell you this. Almost every single week, I get reports from people who see mysterious buses show up in central Oregon and other places around the state. And when I say mysterious, they have license plates but there's no signage on the bus whatsoever. They could be loaded with tourists. They could be loaded with almost anything, but they're not marked in any way. And how would you ever find out who was on board that bus? It would be a long, torturous process even to identify the company that owns the bus, likely a charter bus, and then to go to this private company and say, can you tell me who your client is that actually hired that bus? And even if it was the government, the private company has no legal reason to give me that information. But do I suspect that illegal aliens are being to bust into places like Seattle and Tri-Cities and Spokane and Portland and Eugene and Medford? Absolutely, I do. Can I prove it? Not at all. But do the math on it this way. If you add up the numbers from places like New York City and Chicago and Philadelphia and D.C., we're talking about maybe a million illegal aliens between those four cities. And you say, that's one million. Where did the other nine million go? And the logical answer is they went to every other place in America. Some of them stayed in the Gulf Coast, in, uh, in Texas and in, in Mississippi and Louisiana and Georgia and Florida. But that still doesn't answer. Where did the other millions go? You know they had to go somewhere. And if you suspect they may have been shipped off to sanctuary states like Oregon and Washington, sanctuary cities like Seattle and Portland, I think you're absolutely right. Can I prove it? 
Absolutely not. Our best email so far today, but you can always send more, uh, comes from David. Lars, I believe the anti-American, anti-Trump, left-wing NFL is preparing to use Taylor Swift and her almost 400 million voters on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to prop up Biden like she did in 2020 to eventually make a statement on the 2024 election. I also believe they'll use her boy toy, Travis Kelsey, to help promote vaccines as he's pro-vaccine. I'd put nothing past our government and politicians to stay in power no matter what. And with billions of dollars at stake in vaccines, propping up these two is what I would see happening to keep the monies flowing in and sway the election. Thanks, David. David, I think you're absolutely right. And if you say, well, who in the world would vote for a presidential candidate based on the recommendation of Taylor, for God's sake, Swift? Well, the easy answer is Democrats. It's Conspiracy Theory Thursday. Glad to have you with me. Let's go first to George. Hey, George, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Hi there, Lars. The other day, uh, Joe Biden said that he, he, he wouldn't like to see a woman forced into having uh, an abortion, especially if she's been raped. And I think something that's... No, he might have actually said he, he doesn't want to see a woman forced to have a baby because he's happy to have a, women supplied with a abortions but i think that's the way the democrats usually say it. you're forced to have a baby no you're not you you decided to have sex you knew what the consequences were and now you have a life growing inside of you uh nobody is forcing you to get rid of that life and in fact almost everything would would say why don't you preserve that life but joe biden will try everything he can because he wants to make abortion a federal issue the supreme court decided uh, you know a year and a half ago uh, that it's not a federal issue it's an issue for the states thanks for the call by the way let's go to ron in salem hey ron thanks for listening on the radio northwest network what's on your mind my, what's on my mind, Lars, is that basically my Senator Boquist, who represented my area in Polk County, is yep. being denied the rights of the people by this legislator, whether Senator Rat Wagner or, you know, or anybody else of that nature. They should not be able to determine the rights of the individuals. If my senator's staying out of the building because they're passing bad bills, that's going to cost me extra money, this, that, and other. To me, Lars, this is like, Plessy versus Ferguson. They're basically saying our vote don't count. As and by the way, there is a there's a federal lawsuit by these ten in which they're claiming that their walkout was a form of expression, and I think it it was. Uh, it was a way, but I, I think it's a weaker case than the one that went to the Supreme Court. The stronger case was the one that lost when the Supreme Court decided we don't have to go with what's actually written in the law. But I think you're right. And by the way, Ron, tell me this. We're heading up to a legislative session, right? So yes, sir. what incentive do those 10 senators have to even show up this time? No, I wouldn't show up. I would just leave it out of the court because they, the, the Democrat Party hates liberty, the foundation of a representational form of a Republican form of government. And then we'll be in that situation. We, the people, need to stand behind the Art Robinsons, the Dennis Lithicums, the Kim Thatchers, and Senator Brian Boquist, who's my senator. And I, I, and I back him 100%, and I would love to challenge Mr. Wagner on a one-to-one -one debate and say, how can you go through and say that you have the power, like you're a king or a knight? They, they want to ignore parliamentary procedure. I appreciate the call, Ron. Let's go to Bruce in Bellingham, listening on KGMI. Bruce, what's on your mind? Hi, Lars. Yeah, I, I, I read an article in uh, Fox News uh, on their website about a vet named uh, Michael Cassidy, and he destroyed a, 
uh, a satanic statue at the yeah, Iowa, Iowa. Capitol. Yep. yep. Yeah, and he he's now charged with uh, a hate crime, and he could yep. face up to five years in prison over that. That's right. And Bruce, uh, think about the double standard. If if you go out and attack a bunch of cops in New York. You get released without bail, but if you attack a, a statue of Satan in Iowa, you could be facing five years in prison. I mean, that's the standard the Democrats love. Yeah, and also, you know, the the BLM and those people took down, they tore down a lot of statues of Jefferson and Washington and, and Lincoln. And, and even Lincoln. They said, we're going to tear these statues down. Almost no punishment for them. But for the Navy veteran in Iowa, up to five years in prison. It's Conspiracy Theory Thursday and the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. Things you wish you could say more with Lars. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I want to get to your calls here in just a moment at 866-HEY-LARS. You can always send me emails, talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our poll on X. You'll find that at Lars Larson Show. But the Oregon trucking industry is finally, I think at long last, in my opinion, standing up and saying the folks who drive those trucks that deliver everything you have, everything you wear, everything you eat, that they're being overtaxed. And I want to talk to Jenna Jarvis about that. She's president and CEO of the Oregon Trucking Association. Ms. Jarvis, welcome to the program. Thank you for inviting me, Lars. So tell me this. Your organization has decided to bring a lawsuit against the state of Oregon over this? Yes, we have. And, and tell me why. What's, what's the lawsuit claim? Well, the lawsuit claims that the trucking industry, the heavy vehicles, are overpaying in excess of 32%, um, according to the latest studies that have come out from the state. And there has been no interest on the part of the legislature to address it. The only way to fix this is to have the legislature go back in and change the rates. And they're unwilling to do that and until maybe next year when they talk about a new transportation package. The unfortunate part of that, however, is by the time they talk about that package, the industry will have overpaid in excess of a half a billion dollars. And it's just untenable that we have to continue to wait to address this issue. And by the way, I'd remind folks that every time the trucking industry has to overpay, the folks who ship things have to add that into the cost of the goods. So this, in some ways, is really a tax that ends up being paid ultimately by the consumers. Is that fair to say? It is fair to say. However, and sometimes they just have to absorb those extra costs. So it is, it's a little tricky to, to say that it all gets passed on to consumers, but certainly it impacts the cost of transporting goods, absolutely. Okay, so would you mind, can you explain, because I know that Oregon has, I think, one of the most convoluted Rube Goldberg systems for collecting taxes on truckers. It's the weight mile system, and if I'm correct, most other states don't do it that way. They do it in a way that's much more simple and much more direct. So would you mind talking about that a bit and explaining how did the industry come to pay 30% plus more than it should be paying in taxes? 
Well, that's a big question, Lars, so let me take you back to the beginning. Um, in the old days, long before I was here with it, with OTA, um, there were 22 states in the nation that had weight mile tax systems, which basically charges a truck for how much it weighs and what its axle configuration is. And in Oregon, there are about 88 different tax rates, depending on how they, the, the axles are configured and how much the truck weighs. And every time the truck rolls through roads on Oregon, it has to report that usage and pay a tax accordingly. We don't pay fuel taxes. Most 49 other states pay their taxes through fuel taxes. Four other states have a modest uh, VMT kind of program in addition to that, but it's just a small percentage of what um, the trucking industry is obligated to pay. And so um, Oregon is still working off this very old antiquated system and justifying it by saying it's the fairest way to pay for, for trucking to pay its taxes. And I think with the studies that have come out from the highway cost allocation uh, in the last three to four years, we can see that it isn't always the fairest way to pay. And that study is done every two years in the state, and it's based on what roads, what investments ODOT's going to be making, whether those benefit cars or whether they benefit trucks. There's this very complicated allocation system for how much that road should charge truckers and how much it should charge passenger vehicles. And all of that gets forecasted, and that's what establishes the rates. And so when we did the House Bill 2017 during the 2017 legislative session, they forecasted those rates out eight years into the future without knowing what projects we were going to be building and, and doing. And obviously, we guessed wrong, right? Yep. Well, strange how they guess wrong, but it's like playing Monopoly where you pull the chance card and it says, bank error in your favor. Except in this case, the state of Oregon gets to say, hey, an error made in our favor to the tune of a 30% excess in, in payments from an industry to the state. I bet the state's not too anxious to get that corrected. Well, they keep telling me they'll deal with it next year when they talk about the transportation package. So... <clears throat> hence our lawsuit to try to expedite that conversation okay and and just so people understand i mean if i understand it right a thirty thousand pound truck leaves empty say a delivery truck that weighs thirty thousand pounds it goes somewhere empty it gets charged one rate for miles empty then it picks up say fifty thousand pounds of cargo or forty or thirty and now it weighs sixty thousand it pays a different rate it drops off half its load somewhere and now it's a forty five thousand pound truck with cargo and truck and it pays a different rate and then when it's finally empty again it pays a different rate to, to come home empty. That's basically the system they have right now? Well, that's the premise in the system they have right now, except that in Oregon you have to declare the highest weight that that truck is going to run at, and you have to pay at the highest rate, whether it's running at that rate or not. What? <laughs> that's, that's crazy. Now, let me ask one more thing that you probably know, and I don't, but... Uh, it becomes a taxpayer issue as well. When they run this very complicated system that all has to be audited, reports have to be turned in, some of it's gone digital in recent years, but how many people does the state of Oregon have to employ just to keep track of all these weight mile taxes? Do you know? I wish I knew the answer to your question, Lars. I've, I've, I've heard 300. I've heard 300. I've heard that as well. I'm not sure. Now, so if I'm the not state sure of Oregon, I'm the right one to answer. 
I'm talking to Janet Jarvis, who's head of the Oregon Trucking Association, because I've always thought if you've got hundreds of people to keep track of this Byzantine system of tracking weight mile and all that, <clears throat> and you said, let's go to this system. Let's just figure out how much money the trucker, the trucking industry has to pay. An empty truck gets probably eight miles to the gallon. A full truck, I'm told by truckers, gets about six. So when you're full, you pay more in taxes because you burn more fuel. And when you're empty, you pay less. And let's just charge a, a, a tax on the gallons of diesel sold. It'll end up being fair. There might be some exceptions to that, but it'll be fair. And it'll probably take two state employees to collect that tax. Do you think I'm I'm right in in looking at it that way? I think that simplifying it to a fuel tax would be much easier for Oregon to implement. Yes. And and all I they'd have to do is the state would say, well, the tax is applied at the wholesale level before it ever gets to the pumps, before it ever goes in the right. tanks of the truckers. And so, well, I have to have one or two people to go out <clears throat> every year and collect quarterly payments from all the diesel wholesalers in the state, and it'll be done. We'll have fewer state employees, fewer uh, PERS pensions to pay, uh, and the, the taxpayers will get a better deal, and so will the trucking industry. That's where I wish it would it would end up as a consumer of what is brought on trucks, Miss Jarvis. Well, and there's significantly less evasion that way too, isn't there, Lars? It's pretty hard to avoid paying the taxes when you pay it at the pump. Now, but right you now be, you have you to report it. You wouldn't be suggesting, Miss Jarvis, that sometimes those weight mile reports aren't always as accurate as they should be. I might be suggesting that, yes, and I don't know who's coming across the river from Vancouver into Portland and going back and never running across the scale and never reporting. I don't know them either, but that the fact that is, um, it's been understood that there's at least about 10 to 11 percent evasion of our tax system as it is currently, and in other states that have moved from a system like this to just a fuels tax, they discovered that evasion was running as high as 30 or 40 percent. So actually, certainly simplifying our system would be advantageous to the state. I love the idea. I hope you win your lawsuit. I hope the state is smart about it. Now I say, I, you know, you hope in one hand and you spit in the other one and see which one fills up first. <laughs> Ms. Jarvis, keep, keep doing a great job for the OTA, and we appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me this morning. Thank you, ma'am. That's Janet Jarvis. She is CEO of the Oregon Trucking Association. They are currently in a lawsuit against the state of Oregon because they're overpaying taxes by 30%. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges, but how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours.
Visit 1031exchange.com. Happy, informed, and always guessing what he'll say next. Here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. Now, we talked about the trucking tax, and I'm kind of surprised that there isn't more media attention to this. Because when you find out that trucks that carry basically everything you have, everything you own, everything you wear, everything you eat, and you find out the industry is being overtaxed by the state of Oregon at 30-plus percent above what they should be paying, and apparently nobody really disputes that number, although maybe Cord Boyce will say otherwise. But uh, when you say, and that cost gets added to the cost of everything you buy and everything you own, and of course, are Democrats anxious to fix this overtaxation? Are you kidding me? They love it. They line the pockets of state government with it. And I'll see if I can get the jet boat pilot himself, Cord Boyce, to disagree with that. How are you doing, Representative Boyce? Lars, thanks for having me on, and please keep up the good work. Excellent guest. Uh, most of our truckers, as you well know, small business people, and Oregon does very little to support small business. In fact, regulations, burdens, uh, overtaxation. This issue came up and really surfaced, uh, oh, I think it was the second week in December, and our leadership in both the House, Republicans, uh, and Senate called for a special session. So it had a very special vote that uh, had to go through mail and arrive at the uh, legislature. Almost all the Republicans in the House, maybe two didn't vote, but uh, the other 23 did and supported that special session so that we could properly deal with this. On the, on the Senate side, unfortunately, a lot of the Democrats didn't even vote, but they had, uh, you know, all the Republicans supported it and one independent, Boquist, and uh, so we didn't deal with this. We really want to do what's right by the truckers. So when Ms. Jarvis said, hey, the legislature has no interest in fixing this, we need to delineate what you just did uh, on the difference between the pro-business folks and the anti-business folks in the state of Oregon. Why don't we call them the pro-government folks, the folks for whom no amount of money taken from citizens or businesses is enough to satisfy the massive appetite of government uh, led mostly by the Democrats. Is that unfair? Well said. They can't, the government cannot push itself away from the table. And so, yeah, more taxes, more government regulation, more bureaucracy. That's the re When you stated that, you know, you mentioned a media campaign, uh, protecting our, it's just like protecting our farmers. We do nothing in the Oregon legislature. We fight like heck, but we lose because we're in the minority to help our farmers. I do mean, you think Tina Kotek gives a damn about anything outside the urban areas of Portland, Eugene, and Salem? Well, she's better than Kate Brown. I, you know, some of her staff. I get <laughs> You're it. setting a low bar, Court, aren't you? <laughs> I'm sorry. That is a uh, low you know, bar. We, we just work our tails off to try and uh, bring common sense, truth, facts, and logic. And uh, no, I don't. I don't know that. Uh, I, you know, we just keep working on the government. Some of our staff is very good to work with, and and that's well, the until we get a majority, that's where we are. I've got an idea for you because I kind of suggested to Jenna Jarvis. She didn't know the number. Would you find out for me if you don't know already? 
How many people does the state of, of Oregon employ just to keep track of all this this convoluted, you know, rude, Rube Goldberg-like apparatus of weight mile taxes? Because I, every time I've heard about it, and I've probably heard about it from trucker friends for like three decades, and you'll ask them, what are you doing? I'm doing my, you know, my weight mile tax forms. And I know some of it's electronic now. But this crazy system of 88, I think she said, different taxes that are paid, depending on whether the truck is full or empty and where it's going and how far it's going and all this stuff. And you think, why don't you just figure out how much does the tax raise right now, gross, and then divide that by the number of gallons of fuel sold to the trucking industry. I think you could, differ, you know, the wholesalers would be able to tell you how much they sell to the truckers, you know, to the truck stops and all that, and how much they sell to regular neighborhood gas stations. And say, now divide the two numbers, come up with a tax, and you could have two state employees. I've heard, uh, court boys, that I've heard that there are 300 state employees. And then I was reminded by an emailer who said, Lars, at bigger trucking firms, you have staff members whose only job is to generate all these weight mile reports. So it's like beyond the fact that it's being overtaxed 30 percent, you've got a massive bureaucracy at the state to take care of all these crazy reports and a massive bureaucracy on the private side to generate all these weight mile reports. Court, would there be anything wrong with saying if you divide the you know, the number of gallons sold to the trucking industry by the amount of money that you need to raise. And you say, okay, that comes up to 32 cents a gallon. Fine. Every gallon of diesel fuel sold by a wholesaler to the trucking industry has a 32 cent tax on it. Now fire all those state employees who are, you know, dealing with this mountain of paper and all the private companies can stop it as well. The same amount of money gets generated and you save money at the state and on the private side. What would you think of that kind of reform? Well, I would be honored to take that challenge, and I think it would uh, really produce some fruit. Our leader in that is Shelley Boshart Davis, uh, state rep, is very uh, experienced in that. And it's a, an incredibly complex system, which you have outlined there. So, yeah, let's uncomplicate it. And it's just, you know, I go back, my mind quickly goes back to the Argentine president who just had the... <laughs> Malay? The, the he could bring his oh, chainsaw I mean, down and take a chainsaw yeah. to state government. How about that? Yeah, and and... He's he's communicating that the bureaucrats sit in expensive offices. Lars, as you well know, it's breaking our system. It is it is uh, it's it's an anti-business program, and I you know I, I revert back to the farmers because boy, they need all the help they can hey, get. One, one quick question people. before you go: with the power outages that a quarter million people were put in the dark, you guys have a, an emergency generator under the Capitol grounds, don't you? I'm, I'm ashamed to admit that is the case. We did. Yeah, now, I'll all. tell you what. I, uh, how about a pass a resolution that says anytime more than 1,000 people are in the dark in Oregon, the state's generator stays on. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self directed IRAs, but how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? 
then go to iraadvantage.com. View the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Gentlemen, you ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. No. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. If there's a bigger joke in America than a doddering, demented Joe Biden bumbling around, clearly not in charge of what's going on as president of the United States, clearly somebody else is pulling his strings, probably Obama. If there's a bigger joke than him, it has to be Alejandro Mayorkas, the Homeland Security Secretary, who just like Baghdad Bob during the U.S. invasion of Iraq, would stand there in front of television cameras and say, there are no American tanks in Baghdad, when literally there were tanks about 300 yards from where he was standing. Uh, Alejandro Mayorkas has made himself into the modern-day Baghdad Bob. And I'm glad to see that the House of Representatives is finally going to bring articles of impeachment against Mayorkas. So I thought we'd talk about it with Congressman Cliff Benz, who represents the 2nd Congressional District in Oregon, newly appointed chair of the Natural Resources Subcommittee on Water, Wildlife, and Fisheries. Congressman Benz, welcome back. Uh, thanks, Lars. Great to be with you. And you, you've been willing to take some pretty tough questions on this show about why you voted for things that I didn't always agree with you on. But are we going to be able to get the deed done? Because you released a statement saying we now have, you know, evidence that Mayorkas has flouted immigration law. I think that evidence has been there since the beginning, in my personal opinion. Would you tell me why now and is the House going to get it done? Well, as to the first, <clears throat> Lars, the, the question has never been, does he need to go? The question is, do we have the proper facts for impeachment? That's always been the issue. We always, we, none of us are going to disagree with your take on Mayorkas. None of us. The challenge is, how do we make the best case we can uh, to the Senate so we increase our chances of actually getting rid of the guy uh, under the Constitution? And so what has happened since November when the first set of all say modest articles were brought is that we have been able to get the uh, situation back into the committee. We've had more hearings to bring in people who were actually hurt, uh, suffered from uh, harm by folks who had come across the border who should have been detained but were not. We've had hearings with those people coming in. And, and that provides us with a solid foundation for impeachment. And that is what now is uh, reflected in the, uh, the what I'll call the dramatically improved and revised articles that just, uh, just came out of out of the committee uh, earlier this week. And I would also say there's two articles. Uh, the first is, as I just said, reflected of, of violations of, of laws that he, he should have been detaining people and he wasn't. And then secondly, his uh, obstruction of Congress's work to try to figure out what in the world he's been doing on the border. Those are two excellent foundations to move this matter out of the House, because this is merely an indictment, over to the Senate where we can have a trial, and uh, hopefully the Democrats will step up. I said hopefully. Yeah, but you really don't expect 
that a Senate controlled by the Democrats is even going to take this measure up. So they're going to park it under somebody's backside, and it's going to sit there till the end of the Congress, isn't it? Well, yeah, that may be the case, but under the Constitution, it's my duty to do what I've been doing. Oh, I know. I'm not, I'm not disputing that, Congressman. I've been begging for this guy to get impeached. I want to see Joe Biden impeached as well because I think he's committed high crimes and misdemeanors. But to your point about having the proof now, I'm not disputing what you said. When would you say is the first time that Alejandro Mayorkas lied to the American Congress about this subject that the Congress has a constitutional duty and responsibility to provide oversight of? When was the first time that you remember him lying to the Congress? Wasn't it at least a year ago, maybe two years ago? Yeah, actually, I think it was. I'm on judiciary, uh, Lars, as you know, and I've been I've been able to ask him direct questions. I can tell you as I sat through those hearings uh, that he was lying at least two years ago. So if he was lying to the Congress and the Congress is told is instructed by the Constitution, provide oversight. And you find that somebody who's managing the homeland security of America is lying to the oversight body. Wouldn't, shouldn't that be enough to boot the guy based on high crimes? Because lying uh, to Congress is it can be a criminal act. I know Merrick Garland's never going to go after it. But if the Congress says, you lied to us, you committed a crime, doesn't that constitute high crimes and misdemeanors? Well, I, I happen to agree that it does. But, uh, but remember, Lars, uh, we, we were not the majority two years ago. Uh, we just took over the majority, uh, you know, a year ago. And during that period of time since, We've been aggressively putting the case together against him. And they put together a, a, a they, I'm saying the, over, the Oversight Committee, uh, Chairman Mark Green, uh, did a good job of putting together a five-step approach to dramatically uh, improve our chances of getting this right and robbing the Senate of any argument otherwise. Now, sure, just like you say, uh, they'll try to get rid of it on some, uh, some grounds, who knows. But we should, as Newt Gingrich says, uh, win in the court of public opinion. And that's where that's where you want to go in and be able to say, hey, we did this right. We did it according to the Constitution, and we have the facts. And that's because we took the time to have the hearings and develop the, the record, uh, just as the Constitution and, and uh, past practice uh, uh, suggests, uh, well, I'm going to say demands uh, that we do. I, I, I wasn't meaning to rain on your parade by saying the, the Senate is going to do everything it can to avoid this. Is there any way that public pressure could actually bring the senators to have to, to say, well, we'll at least take a vote on it. We're going to vote it down. We're not going to vote to, you know, convict Mayorkas, but make them vote on it. Do you think any well, amount of public pressure would do that? Well, I'll tell you, uh, the governor of Texas, uh, Governor Abbott, has done a great job in trying to get New York, Chicago, and other blue states and cities to understand what's going on on the border and that has prompted all kinds of people that normally wouldn't say a word uh, to say well something needs to be done so yeah i think a public opinion uh, is a uh, is a really important thing but let me you asked a second question earlier you asked do i think that all of we republicans are going to vote because it takes all but one of us uh, to vote to impeach the guy and i will tell you right now that i think there are a number of people who are not yet convinced and so what? what should be happening, oh. I'm just telling you, and that's my, that's my thought. Well, can we I'm call them out by name, Congressman? Is it time to call names and say, not call names, but to name the people who are standing up saying, no, I don't think Mayorkas is lying. I don't think he's done anything wrong on the Republican side. Do that in an election year and see if you get them get their attention. Oh, well, right. Well, just, I'm not going to call names when I don't know where these people exactly are. I'll simply tell you that I have heard rumors 
that we do not have everybody on board. Now, they're whipping the bill today. Uh, someone, I want my, my member of the whip team that's in charge of asking me where I am asked, and I told them I was going to be voting for impeachment. Uh, but uh, uh, as far as where that whip outcome is, I can't tell you. I okay. Uh, you, you know who I'd love to see you call, Congressman? I don't know how much time you get to watch what's going on in the rest of the world while you're focusing on Congress. Kathy Hochul is the perfect definition of uh, Frank Rizzo, you say, a, a conservative, a liberal who's been mugged. She had two cops beat down in broad daylight in Times Square last weekend. And she was asked yesterday, should these people be deported? And this is the former sanctuary state governor. And she said, yeah, they should be deported. Can you imagine calling the governor of New York to testify in those impeachment hearings and ask her, has your, has your city been done dirty by what Mayorkas has engineered on behalf of Joe Biden? I think that might actually get some attention down there. That's Congressman Cliff Benz. He represents Oregon's 2nd Congressional District. We'll be back in a moment. I'll get to your phone calls and emails. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show at the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. You know, if we keep meeting like this, people are going to talk. Here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and your emails. In a moment, I want to talk about a sellout that I think is happening by Republicans on Capitol Hill. And it has to do with taxes and the states. It may even affect you personally. It would certainly potentially affect me personally. And yet I think this sellout is just so completely wrong. But let me get to that in a moment. It is Conspiracy Theory Thursday. And I'm glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Uh, naysayers, of course, always go to the head of the line. If you call into this show and you disagree with my point of view, we're going to put you first. Just be ready for a couple of questions. You can also answer our X poll, used to be called Twitter. You can find it on X, at Lars Larson Show, and on our website, at LarsLarson.com. First, I want to take a call, and that's Randy. Randy, welcome to the program. What's on your mind today? Hey, Lars. Good uh, listen to you all the time while I'm out here working in the dirt. Thank uh, you. Uh, I appreciate you working in the dirt, too. Thursday. I assume you're growing something, right? No, well, grass, mostly just irrigation-y stuff for on-farm work. But uh, 
about a year ago, my wife showed me a video on from YouTube called "Died Suddenly." I've seen and it, and they and they've changed the name regular, so it keeps keeps it on the up there because they take it down, I guess. Yeah, they do. But in that video, there was lots of prominent people saying, "If we can get everyone in the world vaccinated, we can lower the population." Now, that would seem kind of counterintuitive if you're going to vaccinate everybody wouldn't you save lives and have more people and so my theory is if you look at everything going on from the liberal world including biden and even worldwide if you look at everything through the lens of population control not Mm -hmm. controlling people's thoughts but cutting the number of people in the world and they talked about that in that video that it explains crime. It explains the border uh, uh, problem. It explains inflation. It explains war. It explains everything they're doing is population control. If you look at everything through the lens of of that, and it's unfortunately when you start putting that in your mind is what? Why would they be doing this? Why would they let? 10 million illegals cross the border. Why would they be promoting Iran? Why are they okay with crime? Why are they okay with and hiding the jab problems? Why are they, and they have. so nonchalant about, you know, some things out there about death and whatnot? It explains it all, and I haven't really heard it on any other show or your show. Well, look, we've talked about there's a weird phenomenon that all of us, I mean, all of us who are paying attention had our eyes open and our ears peeled, uh, that we watched what was happening, that after they began giving the jab, and I, you know, I have to admit I have a bias there because I haven't taken it. I chose not to. Me neither. I, I, <laughs> nothing, nothing bad happened. I got it. I got COVID. But fine. I got over it. It, it was that. It was a bad right. case of the flu. I mean, it was it was a two day tough case of the flu. But um, we now know, and I was just talking about this last week, that the CDC, all these people were supposed to trust. They knew ahead of time that the mRNA jab was likely, because they'd heard it from the pharma companies, it's likely to cause some, and it is statistically a small number, of pericarditis and myocarditis cases. And right after they started giving it, 14 November 2020 was when the first vaccine doses landed in communities all over America. You know, it's a much fan for fair. Joe Biden got his first shot in December and then his second one in January. And then he forgot that he had had it, which is kind of typical of where he is right now. (laughs) But they knew there was a problem. So I'm stating facts. They knew there was a problem. And then in about in February and March, as the numbers of Americans who'd taken the jab was going up, the number of reported cases through VAERS of myocarditis and pericarditis went up to the point where in May, May of 21, uh, the CDC actually drafted a memo. And they have this network, and I can't remember the name, but it's it's called SAT, a special attention uh, notice or something like that. And they, they were going to send this memo out saying, hey, by the way, we're seeing a lot of these cases, which would be smart. You've got this brand new experimental vaccine that was only authorized as an experimental vaccine. And uh, and they and what happened was it got shut down. The powers that be said, we're not going to send that notice out. And in fact, I ran a soundbite the other day of Rochelle Walensky, who's to head head the CDC. And she was asked about 
pericarditis, a myocarditis in late June of that year. And she said, oh, yeah, we've had a couple of reports of that, but it's very, very rare. And she just blew it off. So yeah. you, you know about a problem before you give the shots. You start seeing the problem in December of 2020 when the number of people who'd taken the jab was very small. And then by May, your own department is drafting a memo. You know, think of this in a company, you know, where they say, hey, boss, we had to send out a memo. We're seeing this problem. And the powers that be say no. And they literally, there are emails now that they were obtained by Epic Times, which is a good paper. And um, But they got the memos. And the memos said, we decided not to send it out because it would cause people to be concerned about the, about the jab. And you're like, no kidding. When you tell people, well, there might be a problem with it. Because by June or July of 21, Joe Biden was running around the country saying, if you get the shot, you can't catch COVID at all. Right. And, and at June which, of 2022, sorry, in June by 2022, they were seeing other things, people just falling over and they were dead. And they were. Um, and and, and, and they never, ever seen before. It, and the most the world, surprising people, us. Randy, were athletes. Because, look, right. I'm not, nobody's ever going to call me an athlete, right? But I, I have great admiration for young men and women who play tennis, who play soccer, who play, you know, even a dumb game like soccer, that, that they do all these yeah. things. And you know that if they're on any kind of high-level amateur team or a pro team, they're being monitored by doctors all the time about all the things right. that can go wrong for an athlete. And they're just out there playing and boom, they die. And you wonder what the heck is happening. And I wonder, if if the theory you're hearing is isn't right, I mean, why would the president of the United States make friends with communist China that created this virus apparently deliberately and with our our money created it yeah. in that lab and then lied about it and lied about it and lied about it and Joe wants them right. to be. Go and ahead. I've even seen a video on on some news channel somewhere and it just one time I've never seen it again where in 2016 I think being before the election. There's Anthony Fauci saying there's a very likely chance that in this next administration there's going to be a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Well, that just brings that. Do you, that's do you know what's even you, you know the more stunning soundbite we've run <laughs> is Fauci in 2019, the year before the pandemic began. 2019, he's at a conference and we've run the soundbite. It's not faked. It's not AI. And he says, and he was asked, uh, you know, uh, is there a new technology for making vaccines? He said, well, we're working on them. But remember, if we ever get one of these cutting-edge technologies, he says it's going to have to go through all the clinical trials and all the testing, and it'll likely take about 10 years before it's approved right. for use on the public. And that's Anthony Fauci saying that. And and then all of a sudden, the very next year, you've got a, a, a vaccine, supposedly a vaccine, that doesn't actually prevent you from getting COVID. And it's developed in nine months, and it's being shot into everybody on the planet. Oh, and by the way, Anthony Fauci started the pandemic, $5 million in net worth. By the end of the pandemic, he was $12 million in net worth. And you wonder, I think the pandemic paid off very nicely for Anthony Fauci. Back in just a moment, you're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. He's the best investment in talk radio. 
and it's free. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm always glad to get to your calls. I got to talk about these transgender issues because we're presented with a really strange situation involving a one of these so-called transgender kids, a 14-year-old girl who says she's actually a boy by the name of Leo. And the, what I think is even stranger is the alleged Republican governor of the great state of Montana. I lived there a couple of times when I was a kid, Greg Gianforte, who apparently has decided to defend the state's action to take this child away from her parents because her parents would not endorse her change from girl to boy. And I thought, well... I got to reach out to the guy I first met at the SHOT Show, the Shooting Hunting Outdoor Trade Show, Aaron Flint, who's an Iraq and Afghanistan veteran and host of the program Montana Talks. Aaron, it's good to talk to you again. The great Lars Larson, an honor to be on your program. Well, tell me this. You've got to, you know, you're at least closer to the subject matter than I am. But a few days ago, I started telling my audience about this, this girl uh, who thinks she's a boy and she fakes a suicide, uh, calls you know, uh, calls the hospital and says, I've, tr I've swallowed drain cleaner and an overdose of ibuprofen. That turns out not to be true. But when she gets to the hospital and the state busybodies step in, they say, you know, she tells them, I want to be a boy. My name is Leo. My parents don't endorse that idea. And the state decides to take her away from the parents' custody and ship her off to another state to a gender change clinic. Did I get any of that wrong? So you mentioned the key thing here, which I think is is what this boils down to. It's it's a dispute over suicidal ideation. Apparently, that is is what originated this dispute, which eventually led to the state placing her into a psychiatric treatment facility. So uh, the the big question coming up at the national level is this: Did Montana Child Protective Services remove a child from her family? because they didn't support her wishes of identifying as a boy. The state of Montana is, is not only saying that that would not be the basis for removal, but uh, just last night, Governor Gianforte and the state DPHHS has now issued additional guidance further backing up that policy. But, uh, yeah, I actually first got wind of this story um, a, a while back, and then, of course, the family went on Facebook. Uh, uh, the judge ordered them to remove their, their video from Facebook. And that's Todd Colstead and Krista Colstead. So they actually yeah. went public and said, this is what happened to us, right? Exactly. And then I had her on the radio show. So I got a chance uh, to chat with Krista Colstead, the stepmom, the mom in, in this story, uh, a little over a week ago, about a week and a half ago. And so, so yeah, because when I first heard about this, too, I'm, I'm like, you, what in the world? Why, is it, why would this be happening in Montana? I mean, it's bad enough stuff like this happens in California, but how could this be happening in Montana? The governor then came out with a lengthy response, libs of TikTok uh, uh, and, uh, and several others that have really been champions on these issues, pushing back on this radical transgender agenda. We're asking that question, how, why is this happening in Montana? And then Governor Gianforte released a lengthy thread on X, uh, Twitter, where he said, Lieutenant Governor Kristen Juris has investigated this. She's looked at court documents, everything. So that led a lot of us back here in the state to say, okay, maybe there's much more to this story that they are not able to share. So I, I, I do know that there's a frustration within the, the governor's office because they've been champions when it comes to standing up for families and pro-life. Well, and he, si he signed back. the law, right? Montana legislature passed a law last, last year, which I thought was great. A lot of states won't do it. It said... It is against the law to do gender transition, either chemicals or, or surgery, on children 
that's against the law. And he signed that law. So it seems strange, but are they relying on the narrow interpretation of saying, well, we didn't take her away from the parents because of the transgender issue. We took him, took her away from his, her father and, and stepmother because she was suicidal. That, that's what they're telling uh, the state? Well, because it, it, even lawyers might say, well, wait a minute. Is that even enough of a reason to remove a child from a home? I had an attorney on the program with me this morning that said that in itself doesn't sound like enough of a cause for removal. So there must be more to this story. But to your point, Senate Bill 99, that was the bill Governor Gianforte signed into law, basically saying taxpayer funds, taxpayer entities will not be used to support these radical, you know, chopping body parts off of kids in, in this radical transgender. Chemical castration, double mastectomies, exactly. all that stuff, right? Exactly. But I think I would argue, though, that, that what this story is, is showing is that, A, we need more reforms put in place in addition to Senate Bill 99, because what, what they did to this, this girl down in Wyoming and the facility she was put in there is they, they put chest binders on her. Well, that can have complications. Uh, I mean, they're not chopping body parts off, but they're putting chest binders on. They're treating her like a boy. They're dressing her in boys' clothes. Well, and see, that, see, even oh, the social but, uh, transition on. can come I'm talking off. to Aaron Flint. Aaron hosts the Montana a talk show and where i'm reaching out to him because this issue is coming out of montana he's also and by the way thanks for your service in uniform in iraq and afghanistan but if the state is saying this wasn't about her desire to change genders then why send her to a place and put ch- that puts chest binders on her well and that's the question and, and what i've uh, what i've heard is that the re and, and i've seen this reported elsewhere as well that the reason she got sent so the hospital and local authorities in glasgow montana said, hey, she needs uh, immediate uh, psychiatric care. Uh, Senator no Helena or, Mon- or Missoula, right? Well, we had a Democrat governor that, that gutted mental health services because he wanted to push gun control because he was running for president well, along with 50 other people. And so, so that Democrat governor guts mental health services. So now the Republicans have to try to rebuild that with the surplus they've, they've maintained now. So there was no bed space available. So they sent her to this place in Wyoming. And then that's where this social transitioning happens. And so I think, yeah, we have to have laws on the books that also prevent the social transitioning because that can lead to more harm down the road as well right confusion i mean if you've got a 14 year old girl god bless her but you know you feel for her she's clearly got mental issues if she's threatening suicide and and i think gender dysphoria whatever you want to call it is is also evidence that you've got you've got mental problems that need to be addressed fine but you don't address them by accommodating that you know like the comedians say if my kid tells me he wants to be a pirate you don't have his leg chopped off and his eye poked out uh, and and so exactly. wh- why are they endorsing this stuff? And how does Gianforte explain that this is in keeping if the if the letter of the law said you can't do surgery and chemicals on kids, but didn't forbid other things? How is this keeping with the spirit of the law that said don't do this stuff to kids? And and is the governor saying, well, we didn't do the surgery, we didn't allow the surgery or the chemicals, but we're allowing them to, you know, basically buy into this young lady's desires to say she's actually a boy. Well, e- exactly. But here's the other catch. So you're right. So Montana passed the law. The governor signed it into law that uh, SB 99, we, you will not perform these uh, these surgeries, et cetera. You will not chop body parts off of kids. But here's the deal. A liberal judge. We, Montana has, has made a recent turn to become a red state in 2020. Significant shift finally after 16 years of Democrat governors. But our, 
We've got a liberal mob that runs our Montana Supreme Court. A majority of our district court judges were appointed by Democrats. And, and these, and these tyrannists on the bench are, are taking all of this work that, that the legislature and the governor got across the finish line and throwing it in the trash can. They're abusing their power to do so. SB 99 was halted. So technically, that's not even the law oh, right God. now because a liberal judge shot it down. But nonetheless, that, you know, they're saying that, hey, longstanding DPHHS policy is that, is that no, is that gender dysphoria and, and parents who don't support, uh, you know, this gender transition, that is not the basis of removal. And he's issued new guidance to back that up. But I completely agree with you. We've also got to make it clear that, that they should not be, if, if, if a kid, if, if you think that your kid is struggling with suicidal ideation and the state is recommending that you put that kid into some state treatment facility, why would you put them into a state treatment facility if you think they're going to be one of these trans evangelists farming your kid with this radical transgender agenda? So they It doesn't make any sense. That's Aaron Flynn. He served in uniform in Iraq and Afghanistan. He now hosts Montana Talks. Aaron, it's always a pleasure. We'll go to break now. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. No need to adjust your volume. He's just that loud. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails. I want to give you a little advisory. You remember a couple of weeks ago, the weather turned really nasty. Snow, ice, freezing rain, the whole nine yards, and it actually knocked out a number of the Republican caucuses that were planned. Well, now they've replanned them, and we want to tell you when they're coming up. Uh, GOP Chair Matthew Boomala joins me now from Clark County. How you doing, Matt? Doing great, Lars. Thanks for having me on. So for people who want to take part in those caucuses, they're coming up this Saturday. Tell them the uh, where's and how's. Absolutely. Thank you. So we had to reschedule, like you said, because of the weather. We had 11 different locations, 10 of which were all school districts, and the school districts had shut us down. So we were able to reschedule it for this Saturday, and it's going to be at the Clark County Fairgrounds Convention Center. Um, and doors are going to be opening up at 80, uh, 8.30 for, for people to come in and start credentialing, but the credentialing ends at 9.55 a.m. sharp. My wife, God bless her, can never be on time for anything. She would be locked out. So we can't have anyone come in after that. That's when we're going to close the doors. Meeting starts at 10 a.m. Caucuses will break uh, break out. Discussion on our party platform will take place. 
We'll have the uh, presidential candidate preferences will be given since <laughs> since January 13th when we were originally supposed to have this. We've had Vivek Ramaswamy and Ron DeSantis both drop out and endorse Trump, so it'll be interesting uh, how that will go. And uh, we'll have a straw poll for governor as well. But we're going to have delegates and alternates be elected for county convention, and uh, that will be taking place at the same location at the Clark County Fairgrounds Convention Center on March if, 16th as if well. If people missed all that, Matt, where can they find it online just to remind them? You got it. At ClarkRepublicans.org. If they go there, they'll be able to figure out what precinct they're in, how the process will work. We'll have all the information that they need on ClarkRepublicans.org. Very good. Matt, thanks very much, and have a great call. Any doubt about who's going to get the nod? <laughs> I think we know that, uh, that that Trump's the front runner by far. I think people are fed up with inflation, gas prices, homeless opioid problems, our southern border, you know, and what I'm hearing from a lot of good patriots is, you know, they're fed up. And so, you know, we deserve the society we fight for, but we also deserve the society that we tolerate. And I think that uh, a lot of people are wanting to see change, so we hope there's a huge turnout on Saturday, and I think we know who will probably get nominated for that. <laughs> Matt, can you, can you imagine how, I mean, look, you're involved in elected politics. How humiliating would it be if you were running in your home state for president and you were losing that contest, a two-person contest, by 26 percentage points in your own home state? It's quite a bit. I believe Al Gore went through that in Tennessee as well. So maybe He did, and deservedly so. He yeah, deserved yeah, it. Yeah. Well, you remember that Al yeah. Gore famously sent a letter out saying, I will always be pro-life as long as I'm, you know, and then when he got the chance to be second banana, <laughs> second yeah. banana to a president who couldn't keep his pants zipped, uh, that all of a sudden he <laughs> threw pro-life right out the window. That's Matt Boomla from the Clark County Republicans. Let me go first to a naysayer, since we always put naysayers first. Let's go to John. John, what do you and I disagree about today that makes you a naysayer? Well, I think you misunderstand the, the legal concepts involving. There's a there's a, a a doctrine called parents patriae, and what that means is the state is the ultimate parent. They confer a privilege of parenthood to a sperm and egg donor, and they can withdraw that at any time. And I don't think anything except a constitutional amendment will stop this type of thing that's happening in Montana. Parents permanente? I don't think I've ever heard of it. No, what is parents patri patriae. Patriae. Okay. And yeah, where does this come from? That's a, it's a legal concept that's uh, been in practice. I, I don't have all the legal research in front of me, but it's just that the state or the government is the ultimate parent. Well, it doesn't exactly. Parents patriae, the government or any other authority is regarded as the legal protector of citizens unable to protect themselves well in this no, case they, they no they confer they confer the privilege of parenthood to the sperm and egg donor that ends I, up in a child i think you're extending it way beyond that because every well, legal definition out, i can and find I, I am okay i'll tell you what i'll ask lawyers and you know because you're basically talking about what the cuban constitution says that says children belong to the state and are only put in the care of parents as long as the as they agree with the state's way you know with the well, way that the state my, is parenting. here's my example here's my example okay. give me an example country okay do you know many cases where the the state wasn't able to take a child away from a parent if they really wanted to yes Yes. I'll give you I'll give you a good example. A baby who died at about one month of age in Port Townsend, Washington, within the last I think it's the last several weeks, who died because the state said, well, 
we have to give this baby back to her drug addicted dad because because we're required to give him give her back to the drug addicted dad the dad then disappeared with the baby and the baby died so i think the answer to that is a good solid yes let's go to chris hey chris welcome to the radio northwest network what's on your mind hey lars love your show and i really Thank appreciate you. what you do boy you cover Thank more you. territory in an afternoon <laughs> than a lonely badger in springtime <laughs> uh, i want to get back to the uh the Oregon Supreme Court decision, you know, yeah. what he's already done is his wife, Diane, is already on the ballot. So even though Dennis isn't going to be able to run, his wife, Diane, is already on the Secretary of State as a registered candidate. So they're definitely going to be um, making some changes there. And I just wanted to observe uh, one thing about the Republicans. They don't really have much of a bench. You know, there's a lot of really important open positions, and I see a lot of the same old names that, may or may not get elected, but, boy, we've got to get more young people on the ballot, and this is the time to file. You have some time between, uh, I think, it's February and March to get yep. on, you know, learn on YouTube. Go to the website. Go to the Secretary of State website. It's not expensive. It's not hard. Get some friends. Try to run for an office. Make a difference, because now is the time to make the difference. Not and, and learn the ropes, and then you can run for other offices later. Chris, thanks for the call. The Lars Larson. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Quiet, please, ladies and gentlemen. You ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved Republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live. And now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'll get back to your phone calls and emails a bit later. But there has been a very consequential decision by the Oregon State Supreme Court. And I want to talk to the guy behind the losing side. And I only say losing side because John understands what I mean. John DiLorenzo is a very successful attorney, and he's been representing a number of state senators in Oregon, all Republicans, all of whom walked out under parliamentary procedure to stop bad bills from passing in an Oregon legislative session. But there was a voter-approved initiative that said, if you walk out and have an unexcused absence longer than 10 days, you can be forbidden from running for re-election. Only the actual wording of the law passed by the voters said 
This is how it's going to happen. This is when you're not allowed to run for re-election. The problem is the Oregon Supreme Court has now decided, well, the actual law may say that, but we understand what the voters or the people behind the law intended. So even though, and I'll, John will check me on this if I'm wrong, even though the law doesn't actually say this, we've decided this is what was intended by the law. Welcome to the program, John DiLorenzo. And did I get any of that wrong? No, I think you I think you you presented it pretty well. The case before the Supreme Court, uh, the question was what do you do when the text of the constitutional provision differs from what the voters pamphlet and the ballot title had to say. And um our argument was that in that case you go with the text because there is no clearer indication of what voters mean than by the text that they choose to put in the Constitution. That's certainly the rule in the legislature. You know, if the legislature writes a bill and it says one thing, even if the summary on the front of the bill is wrong, the court goes with the text, not the summary. In this case, the court acknowledged that our interpretation of the text was the better interpretation but uh, and I think it was a major stretch said there was a circumstance in which someone could read that text to mean what the secretary wanted it to mean and therefore the court chose to look at what it called legislative history and of course what was before the voters was entirely different from the text now, what this means in practical terms, John, uh, is that these 10 senators, based on this decision by the Oregon Supreme Court, cannot file and run for re-election in this next term, right. even though the law, the letter of the law said it was going to forbid them from running for re-election some years from now, correct? That's right. That's right. So now, you know, there are some practical consequences to all this, too. Because what it means is that these 10 senators have nothing to lose at this point. And uh, I think Senator Canope made it pretty clear yesterday that uh, uh, if he did lose the case, uh, they needed some inducements to, you know, even be there. And so it'll be interesting to see how the politics plays out. I mean, I, I was hopeful when I heard that the court was issuing the decision a week before the legislative session that we were going to win and that the court was going to remind initiative writers that you ought to write what you mean and be careful what you say uh, and then give the legislature an opportunity to cure the problem. But uh, it didn't work out that way. Um, and uh, now we have a few days before the session starts and uh, We'll see what happens with the politics. It's going to be very Well, John, let me ask you, the other practical effect is this. I mean, there are lots of ballot measures in both Oregon and Washington, and they're pres and, but there are requirements that you have to put the whole text of the ballot measure so the person signing the petition, even to put it on the ballot, knows exactly what it's about. This says that somebody can front a ballot measure and say why it offers this, even if, even if what they're saying is completely false. And if enough people sign it, it goes on the on the ballot as that, as what was promised verbally, not what was in the law. Doesn't this have consequences for just about every initiative that's ever offered? It means you could offer one under false pretenses. Why, this will cut taxes for half of the people in the state. And the law doesn't actually say that, but you sell it that way. 
And later on, you say, well, that's what we were promised, uh, even though the law doesn't say that way. Now you have to enforce what was promised. Is that the practical effect of it? Well, possibly. And uh, I think, you know, we don't know what the practical effect is going to be, but I think the courts opened a Pandora's box here. Uh, I mean, there's all kinds of mischief that could occur. I mean, people could pepper the voters' pamphlet with voters' pamphlet statements that are absolutely inaccurate. They could do that on purpose. To and then argue that uh, well the voters intended something other than what the the text says. So I think it's a bad decision. Um, but you know they're the court. I'm not, <laughs> and we're going to have to live with it. To me, I think the most immediate issue is the uh, political consequences, and uh, we'll have to see whether this decision is with a power keg or not. I'm talking to John DiLorenzo, who represented the 10 senators who walked out, I think, for good reason, all Republicans, and have now been ordered not to run for re-election, in effect, by the Oregon Supreme Court. My most immediate question, John, is, is there a federal constitutional issue here that you could take this to the Supreme Court, and do your clients intend to do that? Well, uh, other uh, members of the caucus have uh, gone into federal court, and uh, are taking the position that uh, the walkout is tantamount to expression, uh, every bit as much as burning a draft card or doing something like that, and that it's expressive and protected by the First Amendment. Uh, they did not fare well uh, before the federal district court. Uh, I took a different tact. I thought I would um, uh, concentrate on what this poorly worded measure actually meant. Uh, but uh, that can we say it's a deceptively worded measure? I don't think it was worded that way on purpose. I think it probably, you know, was was an error by the drafter um, because it certainly didn't say what the drafters meant it to say either. But the point is, there's lots of legislation that uh, is passed by the legislature that sometimes uh, says something completely different than what legislators understand it to mean, and the remedy is to start over, yep. just fix the problem. Yet the court today has said that that's not necessarily going to be the case when it comes to an initiative petition. I just think that's the wrong ruling. Well, I, I guess I just think this is such a travesty of the law because, John, I mean, if you came to me and said, Lars, I'm going to sell you a 4,000 square foot house, but I get the impression that it was really a 6,000 square foot house. And, and I say, I had the impression John was selling me a 600,000 square foot house, but deep in the details, it said it's only 4,000. John cheated me. And the courts say, sorry, uh, you know, John, you, uh, you gave him the impression. So now you owe him a 6,000 6, square foot house. I mean, it just seems like the law ought to go with the letter of the law. And I, I, uh, I really look forward to you doing whatever you can do to fix this situation. John, thanks very much. Thank you, Lars. Always a pleasure to be on your show. Great to have you on. That's John DiLorenzo, the attorney who represented the, what turns out to be the losing side of the argument before the Oregon Supreme Court that now has 10 Republican senators told you can't run for re-election. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? 
Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. When he talks, you have no choice but to listen. More with Lars. They create the chaos. It's like, you know, somebody sets their house on fire and then complains it could take so long for the fire department to respond. You created this. That is the governor of the great state of New York, Kathy Hochul, who has recently actually come out in favor of deporting at least some of the illegal aliens who've been flooding into her state, including most especially the seven or so illegal aliens who did a beatdown on two cops in Times Square over last weekend, right in front of God and everybody, right out in public, in broad daylight, and on camera. They beat down those cops. There are now seven of them who've been arrested and charged, including some who are already wanted on other charges as well. And when the governor was asked, Governor Hochul of New York State, uh, who's been a sanctuary state governor, she bragged about it about a year and a half ago. Now, more recently, she's been begging that the flood of illegal aliens actually stop coming to New York because they're flooding into the biggest city in America and they're creating real chaos. And yet you heard what she said. She said, well, it's like somebody set the, their own house on fire and now they're angry because the fire department isn't there very quickly. The only problem is it's Joe Biden who set the border on fire and his Homeland Security Secretary, Mayorkas, who looks like he's up to be impeached because of his high crimes and misdemeanors, his lies to the United States Congress, his violations of the law. And she's trying to blame the Republicans for it. The Republicans who don't hold the White House, don't hold the Senate, and hold a tiny, tiny majority in the House of Representatives, and yet somehow it's their fault that they did this. And in fact, I want you to hear what else she had to say about Republicans. Listen to this. Let me just say this about the Republicans. If they really do want to deal with this crisis and to stop it, why aren't the Republicans in the state of New York banding together and asking for their leadership in Washington to sign on to the bill that the Senate has negotiated, Republicans in the Senate have negotiated. There is a deal. There is a deal waiting to be signed. Yeah, deal waiting to be signed. And she talks about, well, there's the Republicans in the Senate who've negotiated this. You mean the Republicans who are sitting in the minority while the Democrats call all the shots? Do you know what kind of negotiation that is? The Democrats tell you how it's going to be. And then you, as a Republican, have the choice of either saying no and voting against it or trying to negotiate what you can from a position of being in the minority. Now, 
Let me give you an idea of what's coming at you. Because in the House of Representatives some time ago, House Resolution 2 was passed. What it calls for is actual border security, meaning shut the border down, stop the illegals from coming across. What are the Senate, Senate, uh, the Senate Democrats proposing? They're proposing, let's give the Border Patrol another $14 billion to hire new Border Patrol agents whose job will be to expedite the entry of illegal aliens. And I'm not exaggerating one little bit. I mean, ordinarily you'd think if somebody is in the Border Patrol, their job must be to keep illegal aliens out. No, from Joe Biden's point of view, they are the concierge service for the illegal aliens. When illegal aliens show up and walk across our border unimpeded, Border Patrol is supposed to be there to pick them up, to put them in a truck, to drive them to a center where they're given meals and places to sleep and a hot shower and some medical care. And then they're given an airplane ticket or a bus ticket to go anywhere in America they want. Now, if you say, Lars, you must be exaggerating this. It can't be that bad. It is exactly that bad. They are the concierge service. Now, am I damning the individual members of the Border Patrol? Not at all. I mean, they're part of a paramilitary outfit. They answer to their command structure, and their command structure is part of an executive branch agency that's run by who else? Open Borders Joe Biden and his erstwhile second-in-command, and that would be Kamala Harris, the border czar, who won't even go to the border. So Joe Biden has a massive problem on the border, and they're trying to say, well, this is a this is a problem created by Republicans. You mean the Republicans who control one element of government out of three, the House, and they only barely have that? Listen to what Kathy Hochul, the governor of New York, says about how Joe Biden's going to shut down the border. Take a listen. President Biden has said he will shut down the border. He's willing to. He's done everything the Republicans have asked him to do. Huh. Now they keep moving the goalpost further and further back because they realize they don't really want to solve this. They like the chaos that it's created. Yeah, they like the chaos. I got to tell you something. This excuse that somehow Joe Biden needs some extra tools. He needs a pile of money to be able to solve this problem. Do you know what would solve this problem right away? If Joe Biden said, hey, you remember those executive orders I signed in January of 2021 when he first took office? On his first day in office, he bragged that he reversed the Donald Trump policies on the border. Now, you say, well, how, how much good did the Donald Trump policies do? I'll tell you what they did. Donald Trump, during his four years in office, brought about the lowest level of illegal crossings into America in modern American history. Bill Clinton didn't come close to that. Barack Obama didn't come close to that. George W. Bush didn't come close to that. So here's Donald Trump sitting there with nothing because the Congress would give him nothing. They said no to a wall. Even a Republican Congress, under the leadership of that rhino sellout, Paul Ryan, said, we're not going to give you a wall. We're not even going to ask for a wall. And at that point, Trump had both the House and the Senate, but Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell threw him under the bus. They said, we're not going to give it to you. So he did what he could with the things that were available to him. Those same things that were available to Donald Trump to bring about the lowest level of illegal crossings into America are available to Joseph R. Biden right now. Except that what Biden would have to do, like he's done on so many other issues, he said, whatever Trump was doing, I'm doing the opposite. Trump signed something to bring down the cost of insulin. I'm revoking it. 
And now he brags that having revoked the previous measure by the president to bring down the cost of insulin, he said, insulin is too expensive. I'm going to have to fix it. It's like Joe Biden digs holes and then says, look at this hole. I'm going to have to fill it in. That's exactly what he's doing. Let's go to George. Hey, George, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? How you doing, Lars? This whole well. ritual is, is Biden's way of getting at the Second Amendment. Uh, he wants to stack as many illegals as he can into the, into the U.S. Uh, eventually, some of those illegals are going to get a hold of guns. They're going to start uh, using those guns for themselves. And yep. uh, the federal government is going to come down and say, well, we've got to stop this. So we'll send the ATF out and we'll declare a state of emergency and confiscate the guns of average Americans. That may be part of the agenda, but George, the more immediate agenda, it's now February. We have a presidential election in nine months. And what they're planning to do and what you can already show the evidence of, Arizona has already said to people in Arizona, that their election laws say, you have to show us proof of citizenship to be able to vote, to register to vote. But Arizona has also put out to the whole community, but if you come to us and you want to register to vote and you can't prove you're a citizen, get this, we will still sign you up to vote, but you can only vote in federal elections, meaning you can only vote for president, senator, and representative in Congress. So Arizona's right. already communicating that all of those extra illegal aliens, and a lot of them ended up in Arizona, are simply going to be signed up to vote. But don't worry, folks. They can't vote for county commissioner or city council or governor of Arizona. But they can vote in the presidential election. You could better believe that, you know, Joe Biden and his buddies in the Democrat Party are counting on those illegal the aliens. Larson Show. want to be at this is the lars larson show welcome back to the program it's a pleasure to be with you and i'll be glad to get to your phone calls and emails shortly but i want to talk about what happened in the united states congress they summoned the heads of all the major social media companies like zuckerberg from meta and tiktok's ceo and also the ceo of x and they uh, you know they as congress likes to do they beat the beat the table a bit and yelled at them and they should yell at them i'm just not sure it's going to make a big difference so I thought we'd check in with our friend Jessica Malusian, who's with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Jessica, good to have you back. And uh, uh, do you think that this congressional hearing at which they finally got uh, Zuckerberg to do a kind of a mea culpa, you're right, we're guilty, and we're really, really sorry, is this going to make a difference in any way? I mean, I think you cut to the quick of it right away, right? That might be emotionally satisfying for some people, but it certainly isn't going to be any help to parents who are worried about their kids online. Um, it was performative, and it was designed to make a media circus, which it did. I mean, we had accusations of Communist Party membership, forced apologies, coordinated T-shirts. I mean, it was a circus. And um, unfortunately, none of that gets to, you know, the suffering of these victims and their families, and it doesn't prevent anything either. Um, it's just sort of a lot of hot air being blown around and making political hay out of uh, you know, a real problem, which is, you know, what can we do to help parents keep their kids safe online? 
And unfortunately, well, the proposals that they're arguing for right now have huge constitutional problems. Um, I'm sure they're well-intentioned, but there's a lot of trade-offs in terms of speech and privacy um, that aren't going to go away just because they get a couple days of, you know, praising media coverage. This is like the hard work of legislating that needs to be done, and, and what we had instead was sort of a circus. Am I wrong to look at it, uh, Jessica, by saying it seemed as though in the 2020 election, the social media companies, including X, before Elon Musk bought it and changed it dramatically. I, I guess it's changed dramatically. I mean, uh, you know, it remains to be seen in the long term. But if if they found it very easy to take uh, entire political messages and kind of erase them uh, so that um, Americans never saw them, you can do that. But you can't keep ads for uh, human traffickers on the border off of Meta, and you can't keep uh, you know child porn and other kinds of illicit activities. How is it you're so good at tracking down conservative ideology, and you can't find your backside with a map and a flashlight when it comes to to tracking down things that anybody, any reasonable person would say this is dangerous to kids. It shouldn't even be on your platform. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think there's always more the platforms could do, and I think there's a better job they could do. Um, you know, I will say a little bit in their defense, they take down a shocking amount of content. If, if they didn't do what they were doing, the Internet would not be a place where any of us would want to spend 30 seconds. Um, there's a lot of garbage. And, and the big platforms, you know, they have billions of users. So if you think about what if you're just posting one thing a day, what does that mean in terms of content? But I agree, they could do a better job. Um, but part of the problem, too, here is we have, like, different buckets of problems, Right. So child sexual explicit material, you know, they're already obligated by law to take that down, and they take a really shocking amount down. It's, it's kind of disgusting when you learn how much there is out there. Um, but it's not perfect. And also the tools they use to take it down are largely driven by artificial intelligence and other filters. And sometimes those filters don't do a good job of identifying when it's like, you know, your toddler nephew running around adorably on the front lawn in a diaper and when it's something that's, you know, completely unacceptable. So that's part of the confusion here, too, is that there's so much content that that filtering is automated. So Well, and, and, and but, but Jessica, they're, they're all... They're always telling us how AI is going to do. I mean, AI can do amazing stuff right now. If it's that good, then then is it possible for this new AI assist to be able to say that's a kid in a diaper at a family birthday party? That's porn, and 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 make the distinction. Uh, it, it's as though all these technological capabilities that they take, they say, are going to help us, you know, cure cancer and everything else. But in terms of keeping dirty pictures of child child pornography off the internet, no, no, it can't get that done. I, I don't I, think I that think makes sense. I think it's going to get better. I think you're going to see improvements, but I still think that it's going to be very difficult for an AI uh, technology to understand when something is breast cancer self-exam education and when it's pornography, right? There's some questions. I, I, I think it can get better, and I think it should get better, um, and I'm all for that. But I think that getting rid of um, citizens' right to anonymously be online and yep. sacrificing an enormous amount of privacy by banning end-to-end -end encryption are some really, really big trade-offs. And, you know, those are reasonable, right? You can Reasonable people can disagree about where that trade-off is. But, unfortunately, we're not even having that conversation at this hearing, right? Because nope. we're conflating kids spending too much time online with, um, you know, serious crimes. 
And and it's not a nuanced, productive conversation because there's cameras in the room, so it's just an opportunity to score some points. And that is such a disservice to the victims who came that day. And I will say they deserve thanks because I bet last night a lot of parents went home and had a very important conversation with their kids about what never to do online and opened a line of communication saying, you know, if you get into trouble online, you come to me. You don't self-harm. You don't commit suicide. You don't let people extort money from you, right? These, A lot of this comes back to us being more proactive as parents, not all of it, but a lot of it is that. This is a relatively new thing, and we need to tackle this like we tackle, tackle stranger danger in the real world and a lot of other things, and it's well, exhausting. I'm, I'm, I'm a parent, and I'm exhausted. <laughs> but bet. there I'm, are a lot of tools <clears throat> out there that can help you, right? There's content filters. There's time thing that's available to you, like your Internet service provider has those. Your operating system on your kid's phone has those. There's standalone apps that can tell you everything your kid is doing on their phone. So it's not perfect yet, but I think it'll get better. Um, and, like, these are the kind of conversations we need to be having, right? Parents need help in keeping those tragedies from happening to their own kids. Well, and that's not uh, what we saw yesterday. We no, saw a bunch of they should be able to sue them. That's bombastic really stuff. Helpful. And and I, I yeah. don't think bringing the lawyers in or having, you know, millions of dollars paid one way or the other is is necessarily the right way. I'm talking to Jessica Malusian from the Competitive Enterprise. And by the way, Jessica, I don't mean to leave parents out of this because I think parents do have a responsibility. And when you take it to parents for the things they are capable of doing, then all those concerns about First Amendment free speech pretty much go by the wayside because a parent yeah. can say to, my, to the kids, look, Number one, you're not erasing anything from your history. If I find your history erased, your device goes away for a week or a month or a year. And yeah. and and I will look at your history, and I'll sit there and browse through your history. If I find anything in there that should not be in there, you're losing your device or other privileges or whatever. Parents can do that all day long. If we tell the, yeah. the government, no, we want censorship, which is, you know, and it is, it's a legitimate concern to say, do we want these private companies censoring? No. Do I want parents to, to be discriminating about what their kids are allowed to access and about having real consequences for their kids when their kids are getting up to something they shouldn't be in that is actually dangerous? Do it because you've got the legal ability and the moral and ethical uh, ability and responsibility to do it. And the government can't do that kind of thing, nor do we want them to. Right on. I mean, be a dictator in your own home. It's the only place I'm going to root for that. But it's true. That's our job. And, you know, the other thing is with just saying, like, let's take it away from kids up until 16 or 18 and some state proposals no, and, and other ideas bouncing. Yeah, because and here's the problem with that. They're going to have to go out and be adults in the world and they're going to have to get a job and be able to do that job. And all those things involve being online. So let's parent them into being savvy healthy digital citizens let's do this with them and let's teach them good habits let's teach them safety you know we all had that friend um first department or first year at college who you know just went crazy socializing or drinking or eating junk food because it had been withheld completely at home so they've never learned moderation we don't want that for our no we don't want that at all jessica malusian is with the competitive enterprise institute it's always a pleasure jessica thank you very much back in a moment we'll get to your calls 866-439-5277 you're listening to the lars larson show and the radio northwest network With me.
me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you're in an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Broadcasting from his socially distanced bunker to yours, it's sanitized entertainment. Here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails. Our poll on X today, you can find it at Lars Larson Show on X, formerly known as Twitter. Do you trust Nikki Haley's judgment after saying that the state of Texas can secede from the United States if the people who live in that state decide to do so? Well, I don't trust Nikki Haley anyway, but that is one of the things that adds to that distrust of Nikki Haley. You can find today's question at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. By the way, vote any way you like. You don't have to vote like me. You can be a naysayer there, too. It's brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Yesterday's question, should Oregon Democrats steal the tax kicker, now estimated $5 billion, from the citizens and let the government spend it instead? 95% of you joined me with a no vote on that. Only 5% of you voted yes. And if you want to call, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. This segment of the show brought to you by the home power generating folks at Protect Power. We all got a wake-up call during the bad weather. A lot of people lost power. Make sure your loved ones are safe when the power goes out. Call 541-ONA-GEN. That's 541-ONA-GEN. Let me go first to uh, Matt in Medford, listening on the Radio Northwest Network. Hey, Matt, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Well, Lars, it's it's a pleasure to talk with you again. Hey, I caught your segment a bit earlier on gender changes. Yes. And I think I I agree with you. This It is totally inappropriate. And, see, I'm a male, and the last thing I would ever want is to be a female because, number one, it would cost two legs and an arm. Number two, I, I can't imagine how awful that would feel. And you probably, as a male, you would, would not want to be a female either because of what I just explained to you. I don't know what you meant by that. Well, what I meant by that is it, it would be it would be so uncomfortable and so um, it would cost so much and be so painful to be to well, have to, to Matt, have a gender change. Let, let a, me tell you something. If you listen to this show, person. my position on all that garbage. If you want to dress up in ladies' clothes, Matt, whatever floats your boat. You're an adult. Leave the kids alone. I'm gonna and well, because absolutely. because if I were to go out and take everybody else's life in society where they act in a way that I don't think is a very good idea. And it's not my yeah. job to run. Number one, it's it's arrogant if I were to say, I want to run your life for you. 
I want you to have all the liberties you can. So if dressing up in ladies' underwear makes you happy, go for it, Matt. But <laughs> number one, number one, don't ask the taxpayers to pay for it, especially when Absolutely. it comes to castration and mastectomies and all that other ugly stuff. Absolutely. If you want to do it to yeah. yourself, do it to yourself. And number two, leave the kids alone. Let's go to Stephen in uh, Gig Harbor. Hey, Stephen, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? I was wondering if you were aware of a recent federal court ruling in Colorado regarding that state's three-day waiting period for firearms. The one that uh, they, I think the decision came down in late October, early November, did it not? I'm not sure when it came down. I think it was November, and what the law was, uh, the requirement in a, a law that they passed, and let me do this from memory there it required three extra days a three-day waiting period before you could take possession of a gun after you bought it and the question before the federal courts is is that constitutional i mean it would be like saying to me lars we really know you want to comment on today's news but you have to take those comments and hold them for three days and if i said well hold on a second I, I have a constitutional right under the First Amendment to give voice to my opinions the minute I have my opinions. Why would you be able to tell me to wait? In the case of guns, people say, well, that's because that'll save lives. Stephen, I've never heard of a single instance where making somebody wait to be able to take possession of a gun has saved a life. And in fact, I can think of more occasions where I could run off a whole list of shootings that have happened that have taken a lot of lives in which the guns were purchased either days or weeks or months or years before the crime was committed. I believe that was the case in Uvalde, Texas. I believe it was the case in Aurora, Colorado, James Holmes. I believe it was the case of uh, the uh, the man who went to the church uh, in Charlottesville and uh, and bought a gun. And the federal government screwed up the background check and they admitted that they screwed up on the background check he never should have been allowed to buy. But uh, he bought the gun months before the shooting happened. So do I think it'll save any lives? No. Do I think it's constitutional then to say you have constitutional rights, but we have the right to make you wait before you exercise them? I think it is unconstitutional. What was your take on it? Well, the part that I take exception to, uh, a special, uh, was the extremely twisted logic that the judge used upholding the waiting period he made the statement that the second amendment gives the right to keep and bear arms but it does not give an individual the right to purchase a firearm is that ridiculous or what and yet that's what a number of the judges have been saying i mean can you imagine if somebody said well you have a right to uh, you have a right to freedom of expression. You can publish a newspaper. But if a city says we're going to prohibit anybody from buying a printing press and actually printing that paper or printing Tom Paine's common sense, uh, we have a right to prohibit you from buying the press, from printing on paper, from distributing it. But you still have your First Amendment rights. You're right. It's twisted logic, and that's why I'm almost sh certain it will be overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court. Stephen, thanks for the call from Gig Harbor. Thanks for listening on KVI. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? 
Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com.